All right. Hello, everybody. Good morning and welcome to Critical Q&A number 385. Been with you guys for a lot of years here doing this and happy to continue. Uh, as long as you have questions, I have answers. <laughs> and uh, so this is our uh, show for where are we at now? Uh, Mid-November in the year of our Lord, 2022, uh, following the week of midterm elections, yay, nay, whatever, up, down, sideways, I'm sure uh, there was much gnashing of teeth this week, as well as jubilance and, and happiness and dancing in the streets and all of that. And uh, and what a, what a week to be alive with some of the things that have happened in the Scientology world, which we covered in our Friday live show. I hope you guys get a chance to see that because we really broke down all kinds of stuff that was going on this last week between Lisa Marie, excuse me, Lisa Marie Presley, um, you know, possibly willing to testify, not possibly, but definitely willing to testify in the... Um, in the Danny Masterson trial, but it looks like that's not going to happen. However, that testimony will still be useful, and ho and hopefully she'll still be willing to testify for the civil case, uh, which is pending right now uh, as soon as the Danny Masterson criminal case is completed. And we're just going to dive right into it, by the way, folks. I'm just going to give you a little some, uh, some, some stuff to talk about or some things that have been happening. Um, Oh, great. I'm glad to see uh, all the usual suspects and cry my, my wonderful critics in the comments here this morning and uh, some first-time viewers as well, which is awesome. Welcome to my channel and to my show. I hope that you will uh, take some time to avail yourself of the incredible catalog of content that I have here for you. I have uh, worked for years to put content out for you guys <clears throat> that will always be good. It's called evergreen content. It's the kind of thing you can come back in three or four years, still applicable, still relevant, still useful to you. Uh, my channel is not uh, about reactionary videos. It is about uh, content that is going to last. And, uh, and I've really put a lot of effort and work into that. And I hope you will take advantage of all that is here for you. Because if you want to know about Scientology, destructive cults in general, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, the Moonies, so many other groups, it's all here for you. And also, uh, how to talk to cult members, how to uh, maybe get cult members out, how to be a family, a good family member or friend to somebody who's in a cult, how do you deal with them, what do you say, what do you absolutely not say, all of that stuff is here for you. All right, so um, good times. Oh, Jims, thank you very much for that super chat. Very, very appreciated. And uh, as far as the rules of Critical Q&A Live Edition, uh, if you put your questions in the comment section, I will uh, be going through and pulling them out of there as we go here. I'll just answer as we go. Uh, if you super chat it, I'll definitely get to it quicker because I because I can see it and uh, it stands out. And of course, you know you are supporting the show, so I want to support your quest for answers. And of course, if you will, and if super chat or not, if you could um, put my name, the Chris Shelton MSC, the the, the at. Uh, handle in there, then it stands out for me and it's easier for me to find. So if you put your questions in there with my name, then it is easier for me to um, to get to get to them. All right. Um, so 
Let's go ahead. This being a critical Q&A show and all looking uh, well here, let's go ahead and get to this. I will also, by the way, uh, just as a heads up, I am going to be doing some additional live Q&A shows where I'm going to try to catch up on my backlog from my question queue. Because I've had questions you guys have asked me for, I mean, some of them I've had for a long time, like even over a year or two. I know, but um, I, I get asked so many questions, and it's impossible for me to have gotten to all of them in the format of the show that I do, where I try to answer about you know seven or eight questions a week and give you good, solid, chunky answers to them. So I've only been able to, to proceed through my question queue at that rate. But it's backlogged. I want to catch it up, or at least catch it more up, and 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 get rid of you know all of those older questions and stuff. So I'm probably going to do a couple bonus episodes during the week, and I will try. I will definitely put up. I'm not going to just surprise you guys. I'll put up a a notice a day beforehand on those, so that um so that we can catch up on those. And those ones I'll probably be paying more attention to the questions I've already got set up. And I'll answer those, but of course respond to you know uh, you know comments or whatever as we go. Uh, okay. Yes. Okay. So let's go ahead and get to. Um, yes, you can absolutely. Uh, oh, yes, 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 yes. Chat on the. There it is. Sorry about that. There's the chat. Um, okay. So let's get to your questions. Um, Larry B. asks, hey, Chris, love your content. Can we assume that Masterson's defense or lack of one is just setting up an appeal? Um, well, yes. I mean, they're definitely, they have asked for a mistrial. Uh, Cohen is uh, the name of the attorney of, uh, of note here for Masterson, and he has asked for a mistrial seven, eight times already in the course of this thing, maybe 10, like a lot. He's asked for a mistrial a lot, and he is definitely setting up arguments to appeal the case should Masterson be found guilty. As I understand it, though, that doesn't mean Masterson's going to get out of jail free card. He's if, if he's found guilty, they're walking him over to, you know, to, to prison. So, um, so sure, appeal away, but don't, you know, if, if I were the, the client in that situation, I would not be resting on, oh, well, well, we'll just deal with it and appeal. I would be all about, you better get me off, man. You better, like, make sure this jury doesn't convict me. Um, and I haven't seen a, a strong, vigorous defense uh, headed in that direction so far. Now, you know, maybe we have, I haven't seen the jury. I don't know what they look like. I don't know how this is going. But according to Tony's reporting on it, the, you know, nobody really knows what the jury is thinking right now. And uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to find out after the trial. You know, we can maybe interview or talk to uh, some of them. Well, I mean, you know, the media, meaning not, not we, the media, and see uh, see what the what the thought process is here, we, one way or the other. But of course, we're all you know fingers crossed that they are seen through Scientology shenanigans, and uh, and you know believing the women in this case, and because uh, their testimony has been quite interesting, consistent but not uniform, and um, and that's been of course the point of the defense is you know poke holes in the defense by or in the in the prosecution's case. By pointing out inconsistencies, errors, problems, things they said here, but they didn't say it here. And 
And as one um, expert witness or as one, one of the um, uh, people for the, for the prosecution said, um, you would expect that. You know, you if, if everybody was consistent on the same page, same story, everybody had this, it was hitting the same marks, that would be more suspicious than people having memory issues or not saying this here, but saying it later. I mean, people are, you know, how we are and how our memory is. And there's this very, you know, a sort of unrealistic expectation of, of the perfect victim who is going to have the same story. It's going to be consistent the whole time. It's going to be very detailed and complete. And all the information is going to be there. And it's going to line up with this other victim over here who's going to say all the same things consistently. And it's all going to be the same. And it's, people just don't work that way. It doesn't work like that. And um, yet they, you know, this is the defense's main line goal in, in uh in poking holes in the testimony is, well, look, it's all like Swiss cheese. Look at all these holes in it, you know, and, and, and there's not big obvious holes in the testimony as far as the consistency of Masterson's actions before, during, and after his character, his, you know, his, his mannerisms and attitude towards the women. It's all pretty consistent in the, in the testimony between the four women who have testified. Um, and so, like I said, I hope the jury is seen, is seeing that so that's that's kind of how i'm seeing it as it's rolling out here um but yeah absolutely any good defense attorney is definitely going to be doing as much as they can during the course of the case to set up you know appeals uh later on uh okay so okay tim smith just gonna go down the line of comments here so if you have questions for me put them in the comment section and i will get to them as we go down the line here. Tim Smith, did you ever run into any military vets in the Sea Org? There must have been some. What did they think of the paramilitary aspects of it all? How serious did Esso take those aspects, the saluting, etc.? Okay. Um, yeah, I did run into a few military vets in the Sea Org, and they um, talked to me about how slack the military was. I knew um, I knew a Marine. I knew another guy who was army or marines uh, my father was in the navy but he wasn't in the sea org so he never really commented on the sea org's military aspects actually um knew a couple other navy guys though who were in scientology or in the and one in the sea org and they all talked about how slack basically the military was how the sea org was a was a much tighter ship how discipline was more enforced how in the military for example one of my friends told me about how you know, he knew a guy who would just nap all day, He'd go hide back in the supply depot or up in the ceiling or something and, and just sleep all day or just, you know, just kind of screw off. And he could get away with it. You know, what were you going to do? And in the Sea Org, of course, you could never get away with anything like that. They would have you strung up on your thumbs. You know, they'd be hanging you from the rafters if you were trying to get away with uh, sleeping in your dorm all day. So that's kind of how they talked about it. Now, I'm not at all saying that's true. I'm saying that's what they said uh, in answer to the question. Um, as far as the paramilitary aspects of it, I mean, nobody, if, you know, if you're looking for or wondering whether any of them degraded or demeaned the Sea Org or said, oh, this isn't really like the real military. No, no one ever did that in the Sea Org that I met or talked with uh, at all. It was the other way around. I mean, the military was those slack lazy, you know, good for nothings. And the Sea Org, of course, you know, they're there to save the world. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of how I experienced uh, that. Um, 
Okay, good. And thanks, Tim, for putting my name in the in the comment there or in the question. Um, going down the line here. Okay, Raymond Vanderstelt asks about a haunted house in Denver, uh, Lumber Baron Inn, uh, featured on Netflix. It's supposedly haunted. What do Scientologists think about paranormal activities? Interesting question. Scientologists that I met and knew from the time I was a child and my, my own parents forward were that spirits, ghosts, hauntings were real, that these were thetans, uh, spiritual entities in Scientology. You, me, we're all thetans. And when you die, that's who you are, is you are this this life force or life unit that has awareness and you're a ghost, in other words, right? And yeah, you can haunt things. My dad actually one time when I was a kid was uh, was talking to me about this because we were watching a movie called The Changeling. Scary movie, George C. Scott. I don't know if you all remember it. Uh, but one of the parts in the movie was there's this wheelchair that this kid you know, who's dead, who's haunting the house, used to have. And the wheelchair would, would move around. And my dad was always like, yeah, I'm not impressed. You know, it's like if you see some ghost or some Phaeton running around moving things, you go, hey, guess what? I can move things too. Look at that. I'm moving things. Like, what's the big deal? You know, who cares if stuff's flying around because some Phaeton is picking it up and throwing it around? There's nothing scary about that. It's just what Phaetons do. Just go get another body, dude, right? And this is kind of the when I grew up in Scientology and all the way through into the Sea Org, the handling, the way of dealing with uh, a haunting or a spirit who was, you know, uh, hanging around bothering people was to command them, go down to the hospital and go get a body, dude. Take off. We don't need this. You, you don't need this. We don't need this. Go. Just go get a body. You know, come back around. Let's talk. Let's get you up the bridge. You know, this kind of thing. Um, I mean, that was literally how it was done. And I remember we had a ghost in the Santa Barbara Church of Scientology. It was an old hotel and people had died there. And there was a story about a about a ghost there who would manifest through a, the, a cigarette uh, the end of a cigarette, you know how it gets red and, and you can see it in the dark? Well, people said they could see this uh, sort of ghostly cigarette, you know, walking around, uh, pacing the floors, and you could hear the creak, creak, creak of the walking. Well, I lived in the Santa Barbara Org for a little while, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of creaking in that building, and I absolutely uh, was easily able to convince myself that, there was a ghost there, and there was a couple times where it was especially in this one bathroom at the end of the hall, where if you went in there by yourself at night and just stood in that room, you felt freaky. I mean, it was easy to freak yourself out in that room because there was some ghostly presence there. And I would actually apply this advice. I'd be like, hey, man, knock it off. Go get a body. Get out of here. You know, and I would. that was how I would relieve my my fear of that. So I, I don't know if I've ever said that story before, but that's, uh, yeah, Scientologists are not, are not afraid of ghosts um, for the most part because they feel like they understand what it's, what's going on. And, they, um, and, and anyway, there you go. Okay, let's see what else we've got here. Just, uh, okay. Well, sorry that there might be some... Um, bandwidth issues going here that that sucks uh okay huh 
Okay, Jonathan Perry. Um, you know, I haven't seen anything about this on the news or media other than you and other Scientology watchers. Why is that? If you're referring to the... Um, are you referring to the Masterson case, Jonathan? I'm not sure what this is that you're referring to, but I was definitely press on the Masterson case outside of Scientology or Tony Ortega's blog. And Tony has even been commenting on the fact that other journalists are there reporting on the on the case. So not sure what media you're watching or not watching, but it is out there. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. Jennifer Johnson asks... Uh, do you think the police department will step back from public Scientology support after Leah's Twitter comments this week? Um, yes, publicly, I think that they will uh, try to present an image or, and as they always try to do. They've always had this sort of, oh, no, no, we're not in Scientology's pocket. Especially we're referring here to the Hollywood division of the LAPD, the, LA, the Los Angeles Police Department. Uh, they are incredibly... Um, um, I'm just seeing a couple comments about the stream freezing up, but there's really not anything I can do about that here. Uh, not sure why that's happening. Um, I hope it stops. I, I There's nothing I can do about that right now, so I hope that that is going to go away. Because um, nothing's changed over on my end here. Anyway, let's continue. And uh, I'm watching the stream on my channel here and i'm not seeing that breakup um but keep me informed as we go here all right um so okay so as far as the police department's public support of scientology let me finish answering that um the lapd has always had a cozy relationship with the church of scientology and that is because the church of scientology proactively vigorously energetically pursues what they call um, uh, opinion leaders, right? Public uh, thought leaders, people in the community who they need their influence. And so they do what's called PR area control, public relations area control. And this is a, this is a proactive move on the Church of Scientology's part to safe point individuals that they feel are going to be important to them in order to not to so that their operations or their activities are not impeded okay and Scientology can continue doing what it's doing without the law or the government or anybody else getting in their way and they work very hard on this behind the scenes is where most of this activity happens you don't see it you don't hear about it it's not press released it's not discussed openly even with scientologists um this is this is the work of the office of special affairs and they have been doing it for decades and they're actually pretty good at it and so while they might take a shellacking in the public press and get all this bad media they sort of titter to themselves a little bit when that happens. They don't enjoy it, mind you, and nobody's having a good time in Scientology because of all the bad press. But they also kind of go, yeah, well, that will pass, see, because we've built these connections with, you know, mayoral candidates or mayors or legislators or state representatives, state attorney general's office. Scientology is in tight with the California state attorney general's office, for example. Um, they are. This is not talked about. This, is, this doesn't get discussed a lot, but it's true. Uh, and other 
legislators, other uh, politicians, other people, and you throw enough money at somebody or you use other means of influence, and it doesn't have to be blackmail. It can be all kinds of positive press and positive media. You know, politicians are hungry for uh, community service work or community good work or goodwill activities, charity work, Anything they can attach their name to that is non-controversially helping people or appears to be helping people get off drugs, read better, you know, get along in society better, these people are going to attach their names to that. And Scientology has those front groups for that reason, so they can generate public goodwill and support. And... Uh, They don't get a lot of public goodwill and support because we've been exposing all their abuses. But remember back before all this abuse, before all this exposure was going on, they actually, this stuff worked. And to a degree, it still does, as we see with uh, friendly uh, allies within the police departments and within the legislators. And this is what Leah is exposing. And she's going, hey, this is going on and it's not okay. And here's an example of how I tried to do something about this with Shelly Miscavige and where she is. And I was given short shrift and runaround by the LAPD. And they are clearly favoriting, you know, uh, exhibiting favoritism towards the Church of Scientology. What's going on here? This isn't okay. And she's right. It's not okay. But that's what they do. And this is the reason what you're seeing is the result of all those years of working and working and working on the LAPD to establish these friendly friendly relationships with them. And, of course, the police also, I mean, to their, you know, to kind of step a little back from this and, and kind of look at things from the police's point of view, they're desperate for good PR, too. So if they can align themselves with groups that they think are going to give them that, they're going to try to do that. And, uh, of course, they have chosen the wrong horse to back in the Church of Scientology because it is an abusive, destructive cult. But, you know, the LAPD doesn't do their due diligence any more than anybody else does. And, again, let's remember there's money involved. So there is that PR aspect of it, but there's also, you know, money changing hands. Okay. So let's go forward from there. Um, uh, okay. All right. Yeah, Robert Roberts is asking some some good questions there as far as how do you prove this and accusations false and all that. Really, when it comes down to, you know, one of the difficulties with sexual assault or rape cases is, is it comes down to he said, she said. And it really does come down to who can tell a more credible story in a more credible way or has some kind of chain of evidence. For example, did the women tell anybody else after the incident but before it became public knowledge? Who did they tell? What did they say? You know, that kind of thing could be a setup, but it also could be proof or evidence that something actually happened on that date and time. You know, personal journals and and uh, public statements and things like that. So you kind of have to fall back on that level of evidence. It's not solid. It's not, you know, absolutely positively convincing, which is which is why if you can introduce reasonable doubt from the defense's side, that's all you got to do. Just poke enough holes and enough you know, parts of this story that you go, well, did it really go that way? Or is she just saying it went that way? 
And that's what you want to get the jury. Those are the kind of questions you want to get the jury asking. And in the Paul Haggis case, it worked. Because there was no evidence that Scientology was involved in that, even though you and I are all positive it was. You know, the Church of Scientology is not a bunch of stupid idiots. They actually do have an enemies list, and they do run down that list, and they do work it. And Paul Haggis was near the top of that list for for obvious reasons. He was at the, you know, the beginning point of an awful lot of incredibly uh, bad exposure for Scientology. Uh, so they definitely had him um, on there. Okay. Um, okay. We'll continue on here. Uh, yes. Not for nonverbal learning disorder. Do you think social work? Michelle, I don't know how to answer your question about the nonverbal learning disorder. Do I think psychology would be a better fit for me than social work? I could not tell you um, what, because I do not know what nonverbal learning disorder is or how it's affecting your life. Uh, you would have to consult with somebody more individually on that one. Uh, so I'm, I'm sorry, I can't answer your question here. Um, Beth Radish asks, do you charge for interviews on YouTube Lives? Also, Changeling is my favorite. Oh, Frank from being a kid. Cool. Uh, no, I don't charge for interviews. I've never charged for an interview. I have received honorariums to go do public speaking events uh, for different groups around the country. They have paid my way to go out there, and I have sometimes gotten like 100 bucks. I think the biggest speaking engagement fee I ever had was $200 one time. So it's not like, you know, there's a lot of money being made there, but um, but I've never charged anybody to appear on their show, and I don't pay people to appear on mine. Um, okay. Da, 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 da. Okay, Raymond. What's your opinion about the election results in the U.S.? Um, without getting into a big political rant, because uh, I don't think anybody wants to excuse me, hear that at this point. I am very, very happy. Uh, I am, in fact, um, ecstatic is probably the wrong word, but I am very happy with the election results of this year, this midterms. Um, one, because it, it went against history. It was, a, it was not a part of the usual trend of the midterms that everybody, you know, flips on the um, ruling uh, majority party and uh, expresses how angry and upset they are with them for, for the lack of immediate returns on their investment. Um, but the other reason that I'm, but, but the main reason I am very, very happy about these election returns is because these were, as, as far as I can tell, as my, my view and interpretation of the world, these were votes for democracy. These were votes for our system, for the workability of the United States system, um, and, a, and a refusal or a pushback against people who would dismantle or tear down our systems for their own opportunistic gain and to enable, you know, narcissists and predators, right? And and my position on Trump has been crystal clear from day one. I'm not apologetic about it. I don't like the man. He's L. Ron Hubbard writ large. And now he's having his narcissistic meltdowns because he's losing his advantages and his favoritism and his uh, the, all the candidates that he backed didn't get 
elected. And so his name is not really worth much as an endorsement anymore. And I think that's fantastic news. Um, I don't really think that any politician of any side in any situation should have a cult of personality develop around them. And so watching that cult sort of uh, crash and, and burn right now is something that is um, is good news to me, you know, in the same way that we're watching Scientology collapse. This is good news, right? We want less extremism in the world, regardless of which side it's on. And there's also less extremism on the left too, right? We're getting a lot of pushback on the woke nonsense and the, and the really extreme, you know, cancel culture, kill them if they disagree with me kind of thing that, you know, people are pushing back on that too. And, and the number one place that I look to, oddly enough, to watch the trends of where society's going and where social attitudes really are at is watch stand-up comedy, right? Comedians are always out on the bleeding edge of societal progress and change and where people's heads are at. Um, and and if you want to see where people are at, you know, that that's, that's where they're at, is they are sick and tired of the extremism on both ends, and they just want things to you know, get along and move forward in a normal way. And they don't think our system is is awful and corrupt at its core and rotten to the bare bones of it and all of that. I, I just, these are just not true things as far as I'm concerned. And so this election for me was a sort of reinforcement of that spirit and attitude and, and, a, and a push back against the extremist nonsense, the election deniers, the... Trump, you know, really won and Biden's a scumbag and all this nonsense. You know, it, uh, it anyway, that's my view about these things. I, I could go on and on and on, but I don't really know if I should. So, um, so that's my take on the election results in summary form. All right. <laughs> Robert, okay, here's a good question. Um, actually, Thetans are supposed to be conscious beings who can make universes. Why would a group of them bother to stay at a hotel in Denver? Because they're stuck there. Because they are not aware of their surroundings or situation. Thetans are supposed to be in their native state. Let's talk some Scientology for a second, right? Because this is a, this is, gives me another opportunity to do so. Thetans are degraded here on Earth. As L. Ron Hubbard makes it crystal clear in Scientology that you are so bad off spiritually, you don't even know how bad off you are. You have no idea. I mean, you are, you are fucked. I mean, basically in a word and you don't know how screwed up you are. And when you lose your body, you have lost an, an entire life. Like all your, like imagine right now, right? I mean, everything, everything you have, everybody, you know, everything you love and care for and cherish, it's all gone, all of it. Right. And you're stuck there. And you don't know who or what you are. You think you're going to heaven or you think you're going to hell or you think, you know, there's nothing or you think whatever across the whole spectrum of religion, you think you're going to recycle. You think whatever's going to happen, none of that happens. 
<laughs> None of it happens. You're just stuck there. You're just like, well, what the hell? And it's not like you even have a full, clear perception of the world around you. Because of all of the past life implants and trauma that has been laid on you, you are in a frame of mind where you're used to forgetting everything. But if you're stuck for some reason in the loss or the trauma of the death and you're stuck in the location of it, like in a hotel in Denver, you don't know your ass from a hole in the ground as far as you know spiritually you're not aware you're not anywhere near going off and creating your own universe that's what you need all the auditing for that's what scientology exists for is to rehabilitate you so that when you're stuck without a body you have some idea of what to do and where to go and how to conduct yourself and how to actually perceive their universe around you and be at cause because as Hubbard paints the picture, you have been everything but cause for millennia, for thousands and thousands and millions of years, you have been screwed. And that's why you get stuck in a hotel in Denver, uh, is because you don't know how to not get stuck, you know, and that's, that's kind of the, um, the problem there. Okay, uh, so there is that. Okay, um, <laughs> Okay. Xcyan asks, as you look at the front of Big Blue from Fountain, where was your room and did you have a window to look out from? I wish I had explored more when I was there. Secret places. Yes, I have, um, I have been in almost every single room and have seen almost every square inch of the pack base, the Big Blue buildings in Los Angeles, you know, that, that the old Cedar sinai complex that has the Scientology sign across the top of it. That building is where we lived. It's, it's called the main building. There's another building that I think is seven floors or eight floors tall that is called Lebanon Hall. And that's also a resident building. That's where, that's where people live. The rest of the base buildings are where people work. They're the service organizations or the management organizations uh, for Scientology in the West U.S. So... I lived in a few different rooms in the in the main building. I lived up on the seventh floor. I lived on the third floor. I lived, um, I think, on the fourth floor for a while. So I was in a few different locations. <clears throat> Excuse me. The fifth floor was always off limits. Uh, that was the only floor that I'd been on, but there's a whole wing of that floor where I've never been to, and that was uh, Miscavige's wing. He's got an entire wing that is an apartment just for him, and he's very rarely there, but when he is in pack, that's where he stays, and that's where he sleeps, and it's perfect, and there's no dust, and there's everything is just laid out perfectly, and I, I have seen people who were assigned lower conditions or punishment and discipline for having even a few things out of alignment or out of whack or misplaced in that wing on the fifth floor. You get in a lot of trouble for upsetting David Miscavige or even potentially upsetting David Miscavige. This guy got in all this trouble and Miscavige wasn't even in town. You know, just for the, just because somebody else went through and went, oh my God, look at that, it's misplaced. Who's responsible? And, they, you know, they get busted. So that's an area I never was in. But I was in the other wing of the fifth floor when we did some construction when I was on the RPF. Otherwise, um, yeah, been all over that base and there are secret places. Uh, other, there's a whole underground 
on that base where you can go, there's tunnels underneath, engineering tunnels and sewage tunnels and stuff, um, where um, <clears throat> where you can um, travel from building to building without being up on the street. And that's how they hide when the protesters come, uh, demonstrators come. Uh, if you go demonstrate or carry signage around on the pack base, you know, Xenu lives or, you know, Scientology wake up or whatever kind of, you know, signage you're carrying around. They'll go hide from you. They'll lock all the doors, close all the windows, pull the blinds, and they will travel underground to get from place to place. And you can get almost anywhere on pack underground. Uh, kind of interesting. So there you go. All right. Shimoda asks, um, I hear you saying down the line about reading the chat, and I've read and I've heard other former Scientologists use that term as a Scientology term. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Is down the line, you know, down uh, further into the future or further along on a progress of some kind? That's, that's I don't know. I, d I didn't know that was a Scientology thing. I thought that was... Uh, I thought that was just something that people said. I run into that sometimes, by the way. Um, I'm trying to think right now. There was another expression I would use all the time that um, there were a few expressions I, I used coming out of Scientology, and I'm trying to remember them now. Something about a train. There was uh, uh, something like a choo-choo or something. Anyway, I can't. I, God, this thing's just go in and out. Sorry about that. I cannot remember um, some of the other expressions I have since kind of left left me uh, that were Scientologies or at least that we thought were. Oh, severe reality adjustment, SRA. I thought for years and years that that was a regular English term, that everybody knew what that was. If you were going to get an SRA or a severe reality adjustment, that means somebody's going to scream at you. Somebody's going to like tweak your head, right? They're going to yell and scream and, and really get you to get that you're wrong. And this is how it is. It's not how you think it is. It's this way, right? That's called an SRA. I, I, thought, that was, uh, I thought that was a regular thing, but apparently that's Scientology's. Uh, okay. Oh, okay. Here's a good question. Let me take a sip here. All right. Uh, Jonathan Perry. I might have asked this before, but why do Thetans even need bodies? They don't. But they were convinced millennia ago, millions and millions and quadrillions of years ago, that bodies were fun. Bodies are sensation. And that's the thing about bodies that makes them so interesting to Thetans is because Thetans don't have sense organs. They don't have sensory experiences. They are uh, infinite beings with no mass, wavelength, location in space or time. So, uh, and that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, by the way, but uh, that's what Hubbard says, right? So you imagine this thing that is actually, if, if we're going to take the entire infinite physical universe and imagine it to be you know, about this size, and it's all in there, and that's matter, energy, space, and time, and there it all is. The Thetan is outside of that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Kind of like most people conceive of God as an entity that exists beyond space-time. Well, that's a Thetan. That's you, that's me, that's all of us. And so how does a Thetan experience anything well they go around in life and they postulate things they want something to exist it exists if they so desire it 
And then it pops out of existence because, remember, no time. So there's no concept of time for a thetan. There's no progression of cause, effect, cause, effect. That's what the physical universe provides. And it's not dissimilar. The best analogy for why were thetans originally invested in or interested in bodies or in the physical universe at all, the direct analogy that I always understood in Scientology the entire time I was growing up was it's like kids playing with dolls or action figures if you're boys, right? Same difference. What's, what's the difference? There isn't one. So it's, it's playing. It's, it's having a good time. It's pretending. It's, it's investing a little bit of yourself into this inanimate object and making it animate and playing with it and interacting with your friends because they would come with their dolls or action figures and you would have this whole show and you could put on shows or you could put on battles or you could put on you know domestic situations. Whatever your temperament is as a kid, you could find another kid, get on common ground and play with them and and play, of course, is awesome. But that spirit of play, that idea of, ooh, this is fun, this is different, I get to pretend for a while that I'm something I'm not. And unlike a doll, a thetan actually experiences the sensations that the body experiences. And that's fun. That's interesting. That's exciting for the thetan. And the more invested they became... And the more they started believing the stories or the narratives of the bodies and the physicality of it and the sensation of it, they started getting trapped in it. Where it became so important that they didn't want to let it go. Oh, I'm invested in this now, right? Have anybody, if for anybody who's ever played Dungeons and Dragons uh, or a game of some kind where you are invested in the game and then you lose or your character in D&D dies, ugh, right? Like, no, I've invested all this time, all this energy, all this, all this imagination and creativity into this, and now it's gone and I can't use it anymore? No, oh, you know, poor is me, right? And, and no, I don't want that. I want more of it. And they get a little addicted to this whole sensation thing. And this becomes something that was then used to entrap Thetans because some other bad Thetans had the idea that maybe it might be fun, maybe their way of getting off in this whole game was to see if they could become masters of the game and entrap other people in it. And that's where evil was born. And that's kind of, you know, how bad guys and good guys got created amongst Thetans. And after a while, losing, 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 a Thetan would go, you know, maybe I should be doing some of this trapping or maybe I should be involved in some of that. And they switch sides and then, you know, the, the, the as the millennia pass on, you're bopping back and forth between good Thetan, bad Thetan, good life, bad life, oppressor, you know, victim, victimizer, this kind of thing. And the identity struggle of that creates its own chain of, of, of difficulties and nonsense for the person. And they get more and more invested and more and more mired down into the physical universe and the life after life after life cycle of experiencing the physical universe. And then they end up eventually millions and trillions and quadrillions of years later 
trapped here on earth doing YouTube videos. <laughs> so there's the whole rundown on it. I hope that explains that for you, Jonathan. Uh, it was a great question. All right. Counting on down the line. Good, 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 good. Glad that some people are not having any issues. Um, glad to catch you live. Great. Okay. Ah, super chat. Okay, let's get to this one. Have you made any more videos about the dangers of the Nation of Islam? I grew up in their cult and they have destroyed my family during the pandemic in 2020. Thank you for your work. I have not yet done any new videos about Nation of Islam. I think I did a podcast breakdown on them a few years ago. And I've actually been thinking quite a bit about the partnership of the Nation of Islam and Scientology because um, I'm in this, I'm working on this longer term project, uh, <coughs> book <coughs> about Scientology. And um, and sort of the framework of coercive control that Scientology puts there is a very interesting one that has a lot of parallels with groups like the mafia. Uh, and what do you what do you make of that? Right, organized crime. And what do you make of the Nation of Islam? Organized crime, right? So where is there? You know, why would they partner? Well, you know, maybe it has something to do with organized crime. <laughs> <laughs> I, these are these are conjectural right now. These are ideas that I have, and we're working on you know some research and work on how to how to break all that down. Excuse me. So I am a little curious about um, more curious about Nation of Islam, but I don't know that I've got another video coming anytime soon on that. I'm just saying I'm I'm kind of deep into some research and writing on the topic of 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 how these groups organize themselves um, in a rather criminal way. And, uh, and I think there's something to be said there about that. So, um, so there you go. Oh, you guys, you're D&D &D nerds. Awesome. Uh, that is awesome. Thank you for that. Um, yes, yes. The NOI is not, a, is not a good group. It's very much a destructive cult. Louis Farrakhan is an anti-Semitic racist, and he heads up an organization of anti-Semitic racists. He turns people into that, people in the black community. And there's a, there's a lot to know about the Nation of Islam in terms of its wacky beliefs and, and ideas and their whole, you know, dogmatic system. Um, but, but the fact that they're partnered with the Church of Scientology is one of the strangest partnerships you've ever imagined. I mean, here's this bunch of anti-Semitic racist group, and then you have Scientology, which is not anti-Semitic, but actually kind of is. In terms of its conspiracy theories, Hubbard went there. And he never said, though, the Jews. He never said that. Hubbard never goes there. He goes to families. He talks about the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, these big wig moneyed people. And he kind of he kind of puts his frames his conspiracies around the moneyed class and around how they use psychiatry as their strong arm to control uh, the, the population and that kind of thing. <clears throat> That's Hubbard's gist of conspiracy. So you take that and the NOI stuff, and you get the ugliest possible. I mean, you get Q-level, QAnon-level nonsense. And that's where you get to if you are in those mindsets. It's really bad. It's like nasty, nasty stuff. Okay. Um, let's move on down the line here. Ah, okay. I thought this might come up. <clears throat> 
<clears throat> I'll just comment on this very quickly. Raymond Vanderstelt. What is the video from Angry Gay Pope about you about? Does he really think that sticking his camera in people's faces is going to have a positive impact? Um, okay, so this last week, uh, somebody made somebody who identifies as Angry Gay Pope made a video kind of trashing me, and uh, fine, you know, people are going to do that. I um, I don't agree with, and I have said publicly before, and I still will say that I do not agree with the kind of protest PR that he does, where he goes and he takes a camera and he and he antagonizes on purpose Scientologists. He goes and he gets in their face. He asks them dumb questions. He riles them up, and he and he and he videos it so that he can show how upset they get or how they avoid him or they don't want to talk to him. And it's all rather stupid. Um, it's and I say that because protesting is not stupid you know but what anonymous did in 2008 wasn't stupid but that's not what angry gay pope is doing what he has described himself as doing is he is purposefully trying to get them mad get them upset get them in trouble within the church by responding to him or making a scene or making a fuss and that will get them in ethics trouble with the church and that will wake them up uh, no it, it, it doesn't really work that way. What it does is it, is it causes people to, it causes their fight or flight kind of uh, mode, their antagonism, their like defense mode to turn on. And when you have somebody who gets into defense mode, they double down, triple down, quadruple down on their position. They have to defend it now. That strengthens it. It doesn't open up anything. It closes down thinking, and it shuts down any possibility that this person is going to be at all receptive or friendly to your message. And in fact, you guarantee that in the future, they are going to be hostile and antagonistic to your message. I don't think that's a good thing to do. That's my opinion. I am well aware that there are people who have very different ideas about that. Not a problem. If you want to go do that, you go right ahead. I don't think it's effective. Other people do think it's effective. Go ahead, right? Prove me wrong. Get people out of Scientology by getting pissed at them and getting them pissed at you and antagonizing them. Show me the line of people who have left Scientology because of that. I don't see those people. I see people who get out of Scientology. I have helped people out of Scientology and other coercive situations by doing the exact opposite of that. It takes more time. It takes more intelligence. It takes more tolerance. It takes a lot more understanding. And it's hard work to do interventions and to do the work necessary to convince somebody on a slow process to come out of one of these situations. John Atack is commenting on the fact he can do it in a day. Kudos on him, but he doesn't do it that way. He does it by conversation and by talking and by facts and by critical thinking and by you know appealing to the person's better side, not their worst side. And that's what that's about. And so that's where he and I don't see eye to eye, and he decided that he would make a video trashing me about that. I don't care doesn't matter to me, right? I'm not, I'm not going to do response videos. I'm not going to get into a big thing about it. And if it didn't come up today, I wasn't going to bring it up. Um, but she asked. And so that's my answer to that. And I am not going to give any more oxygen to that. It's, it is my position, uh, stated here has been consistent from day one for me. I've always felt this way. And again, I want to be clear. 
crystal clear that I'm not talking about mass protesting. I think mass protests where you get a bunch of people out there, I'm not talking about one or two people, I'm talking about 10, 20, 30 people, signs, marching, walking around, making noise, drawing attention to Scientology and its abuses, two thumbs up, big yes, please do that, we need a lot more of it, it would be great if we could get that going again, but what Angry Gay Pope does, no, I'm not, I'm not down with that, so um, that's, my, that's my answer on that one. Okay, Uh, moving right along, Shimoda, question, any advice for talking to someone who seems to be in controlling slash emotionally, not physically abusive relationships? I know there's similarities, but specifically versus cults. Okay. Well, the first thing, yeah, I mean, Shimoda, I would, again, it's questions, it's, it's talking it's asking, it's getting them to see the situation for what it is, or at least how you see it, right? And it, and that's done through questioning, through um, conversation, by letting them vent, letting them talk, letting them tell you what's on their mind. And if there's nothing on their mind and they think this abusive relationship is great, then maybe a little education thrown their way, a little bit of, hey, did you see this documentary? Did you see this show? Did you hear about this? Did you read this book? Stuff that's not accusative of their partner or is in any way like oh hey you you know you're hooked up with a narcissist did you know guys let me tell you oh man you need to read the sociopath next door because your partner is a complete maniac that's not how to go about it (laughs) i can tell you that much right the way to go about it is a bit calm measured tolerant understanding this person is hooked up with this abuser because they have emotional needs that this abuser is fulfilling in some way or at least they think that their emotional needs are being fulfilled by this person. And emotion is going to rule over rationality 100% of the time. So you are going to have to deal with this at an emotional level, which means you're going to have to keep it calm, keep it chill, and be friendly and open and, and helpful to this person. And they can't perceive that you are coming at them and attacking them or attacking their choices. You have to instead help them to see the things the way you see it. And maybe the way you see it isn't right either. That's something else you got to keep in mind when you're looking at this stuff is, you know, unless you have clear-cut evidence that they're partnered with an abuser or somebody who is, you know, truly uh, predatory or is damaging them emotionally, right now you have an opinion, you have an idea about their relationship based on the limited knowledge and information you have. Maybe you're spot on and don't don't let my, you know... uh, devil's advocate <laughs> uh, tell you you're not, but at the, but I am trying to say, make sure, right? Always be open to the fact that maybe you're not seeing this clearly either. It, what could look like manipulative or could, what could be described as manipulative, egotistical behavior. Remember, if you're talking to one person in a domestic partnership, you're hearing one side of the story. You're not necessarily getting the objective truth. So know that and know when, before you go that you could be wrong. And so therefore, be cautious in how you approach it too. Always be open and receptive to getting new information. Um, don't excuse abuses. Don't, don't, you know, if it's abusive and it's predatory, then call it out for what it is. You know it for what it is. But, um, but always tread lightly and cautiously when dealing with domestic partnerships because um, almost any act 
can be reframed in a bad way. Almost any fight, difficulty, problem, issue between two people can be framed, can be talked about or described in a horrifying way as though it's just the most abusive thing possible. And predators do that too, you see. So you know, that's where you got to really pay a lot of attention, have your eyes and ears wide open. And, and if you're 100% sure or 90% sure, whatever, you know, if you're really sure that you know you're on the side of right with this and that this person needs to be, you know, kind of extricated from this, you know, bad situation, don't, you know, then do so, but do so um, uh, tolerantly, you know what I mean? Cautiously. Okay. That's, that's my best, I don't know. I hope that's not all over the place, uh, Shimoda, or unclear. I, I know I'm, I'm kind of giving a little bit of both sides there, but that's kind of the complication that, you know, that, that's the reality of it is you really, you got to know. And, uh, and we don't always know all the, all the facts or all of the um, situation. We're only being presented with the parts we see. And we can only, you know, do the best we can with that. Okay, moving right along here. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm not going to stay away from the politics. Thank you for that suggestion. I don't need that. I will talk about whatever I want on my channel. And if you don't like it, I don't know what to tell you. But I am not going to stay away from politics because it makes people uncomfortable or they find it offensive. Sorry, I, I don't know how I could possibly put myself out there as somebody who talks about coercive control and cultic behavior and then not talk about politics. Politics is a cesspool of cultic behavior and extremism. It's all over the place there. And for me to not talk about that or avoid it because people get upset about that, not going to happen. Um, so don't tell me not to talk about politics. Okay. Uh, I had enough of people policing my behavior and my speech when I was in Scientology. Now that I'm in the real world and I have the freedom to do what I want, I'm going to do what I want. All right. Uh, yes, it is starting XCN to get a little chilly in Denver. In fact, it's freezing today. It's very cold. Okay. Uh, let's move right along here. Um, all right, looking for more questions. Um, oh boy, okay, Robert, great question. You're getting into the into some of the Scientology minutia here today. Is a Thetan's degradation related to Xenu's electric field around Earth? Could you describe the cosmology of the electric field? Um, The electric fields around Earth are, are created in order to trap Thetans here and keep them here. This is why Scientology refers to Earth as a prison planet. It's not that you can't get off or escape. People do. Uh, in Scientology mythology, Hubbard talks about visiting Venus and Mars and how there are implant stations there and how there's um, you know all kinds of interesting stuff going on. Yet at the same time, we're also presented with this narrative in Scientology that there are these force screens and things preventing people from leaving and Hubbard had his cake and ate it too he could tell one story one day and another story another day which is why this all does not fit together like a puzzle 
It's really haphazard, and there are huge holes. It's very Swiss cheese. Scientology's cosmology and mythologies are, are all over the place. So what you hear from me is my best take on my reading and listening to Hubbard over all the years that I was in on this. And as far as um, Phaeton's degradation being related to being stuck here on Earth, yes, absolutely, that's part of it. But we're, Earth's whole problem is that it has shortened our lifespan. What, what, what the whole OT3 Xenu thing introduced into the life-to-life cycle that wasn't there before was sex, apparently, or an obsession with sex and bodies and creating bodies where we didn't used to have that. And a um, shortened lifespan. Apparently, we used to live before the whole Xenu thing went down. We had bodies and we had racetracks and fire engines and planets and civilizations and buildings and governments. But we had very long lives. Very long. Like, very long. Like, you didn't die unless you died in an accident kind of long. And Hubbard talked about this. He talked about how there would be these race tracks where people would go and and uh, and race and die. You know, they'd have these complex, crazy, you know, um, kind of kind of entertainment things where where people would die. But they knew, yeah, they're just going to get another body. You know, it's not like it's going to be the end of everything. Now, I don't know. It's never made any sense to me that you would model. That, that if that were true, that you would create a civilization that looks just like ours. Because if you and I all knew that we, that we could live for a really long time and that if we died, we were just coming back, I guarantee you our entire society would be structured very differently than it is now. But Hubbard said, no, it's going to be exactly like this. They got all the same stuff and they think all the same things. So that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense right from the get-go. But, you know, if there's one thing you cannot ever accuse L. Ron Hubbard of, it's being a deep thinker, incredibly shallow man. So, um, so anyway, this cosmology wraps up around that. I cannot believe an hour has already passed. I'm going to have to go in a minute. Uh, I wish I could keep going here, guys. You were asking me all these awesome questions. Um, let me just quickly run down the line here. Someone is going down this path. Um, da, 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 da. Yes, the tone scale uh, video is very much uh, in progress. Um, Yes, Thetans like to play games. That's right. That's exactly right. That's how Hubbard puts it, is Thetans are game players. Okay. Um, I did not, Anthony, do reaction videos on those um, hidden Scientology Sea Org muster videos. I think I talked about them when they first came out a little bit. But, um, yeah, that's what life is like in the Sea Org, man. Oh, Juliana, thank you very much for your super chat. Very appreciated. And... <laughs> yep, D&D, baby. That's where it's at. I'm that far back. Hey, thank you, T.L. Grant, for your super chat. And, okay, Anthony, let's get to this one. Um, will you be down to do a breakdown analysis of one of those? Um, you know, now that you bring it up, sure. I could absolutely do something on one of those. Um, send me an email or something about that. Remind me of that. That would be good. Um, no, I do not see ex-Scientology. I do not see the Church of Scientology losing its tax-exempt status anytime soon. 
I, I, we've talked about that before, so I'm not, I don't have time to go into a big, long explanation on that. But I will tell you right now that, um, that no, that's not, that's not the thing. Um, the, there, there is no incentive on the part of the IRS or the U.S. government right now to pursue or investigate or take away Scientology's tax-exempt status. That is not to say there are not a laundry list of good reasons why they should not be doing that. I said that, the, that they have no incentive to do that right now. I don't know why. I have no idea what drives their priority list, but um, it's not what you and I would think of. Um, I do not have a P.O. box for gifts, Shimoda, but if you email me, um, we can figure something out on that. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you, uh, Chesh, for reinforcing my uh, view about politics there. I am definitely going to talk about that when I want. And I will promise to have a great day. Thank you very much for that. I am actually going to a uh, brick fest, a Lego thing today. So I'm totally nerding out. Uh, in addition to my D&D nerdism, I am definitely um, doing that. And yes, Robert, that metering video will get done before you die. The uh, let, me, let me give you guys a quick update because I think I said this the other day, but let me tell you here in this format, I have been promising um, a, two videos for a very long time. A video is about the Scientology's emotional tone scale and Scientology's e-meter. And I have been, and I'm talking a ridiculously long period of time. I am way over-promised and under-delivered on that. And it is a monkey. It is an albatross around my neck. And I am getting it done now. Um, and by now, I mean, I've always been working on it. But I needed this education. I really did. In order to nail down some stuff on emotion. And I also um, needed to know a lot more about certain things. And talk to certain people about some electronic stuff. In order to nail down some things about the e-meter and it taken it's definitely taken me too long and i get that the good news is that the um the dam is open uh the writing is happening i am more than halfway finalized final final version on the tone scale video i've just got some more things to flesh out on that and then produce it it's going to be good and then i will be doing the exact same thing with the metering video it is also scripted out it is almost it's about 75 percent written finalized and once those scripts are done then it's just a matter of producing them and i and i'm that's not that's not the the slow part for me the slow part is the research and the writing and i wanted to give you guys the best videos ever on both of those topics and it's and that's why i've not pulled the trigger for so long on them is because i've never been satisfied with my own research and my own work on it to the point that i felt it was something that i could put out and it wasn't just a oh the tone scale's stupid oh the meter doesn't work you know i want to say something a lot more substantial and and uh and evidence-based than that anybody can do that lots of people have You'll find tons of videos about how stupid and silly the e-meter is, but nobody ever really breaks down what it's doing or why people believe it or why it works and how it's used as a control mechanism in Scientology. Same thing with the tone scale. People ridicule it, but they don't really break it down and, and really get into the, the, the depths of it. That's what I'm doing. And so I am really, really, really always apologetic that it's taken me as long as it has, but that's the full rundown on it, and you will see it soon. Um, okay, guys. Oh, Juliana, thank you very much for that super chat. And you guys are awesome. 
Thank you. Thank you very much. Time to go now. Uh, watch for uh, this next week. I will be doing this bonus Q&A um, probably Wednesday, I'm thinking right now, but we'll see, uh, you know, maybe Tuesday. And, um, and with that, let's go ahead and wrap up. Bye-bye, guys. <laughs>